Well, it's medical experts in football. I am Taiwo Adeshigbin, your host. Food really is medicine, you know, and, yeah, and sure. I didn't even know that at the time the antibiotics I was taking for my face was messing with my gut. And then the, you know, the stuff I was taking for my gut was messing with my hormones or- Just a messed up machine. That was messed up. And that's Amy Dirks, the sports dietitian, nutritionist, and wellness consultant, as well as the founder of Amy Dirks Sports Nutrition, where you can find a number of nutritional programs at amydirksportnutrition.com, which is also listed in the podcast notes. So Amy's going to give us the inside scoop of her former role as a sports performance dietitian nutritionist for MLS Sporting Kansas City. And of course, she's going to break down so many nutritional insights from the mistakes many athletes make, how athletes can eat to achieve peak performance, as well as some nutritional modifications that injured athletes can implement. So come along the yellow school bus, buckle up, and here we go. The Midwest food, because I went yes. to Missouri. I went to the University of Missouri in Columbia, and oh, I did, did. I did really like Kansas City. Yeah, uh, but like you mentioned, so many small little towns, Boonville, this and that. Yeah, uh, but they say, is it barbecue? Is that the known thing in Kansas City? What What's the food that sure. that's popping there? Well, my husband loves grilling and smoking, and so he's he's pretty much where we usually get most of our barbecue, but. Um, there's, there's the places that, that are Kansas city, like Gates barbecue and LC's and Arthur Bryant's. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing with Kansas city is that it's, it's pretty progressive for the Midwest. And so there's a lot of, um, small local businesses coming in for food wise restaurants yeah. and stuff. Well, Amy, I know you were a former athlete, you were a volleyball player and, as you know, this is a soccer medicine podcast, but I'll yes. be honest with you. Volleyball is actually my favorite sport to play. I played it all the way up until college, but let's not go off track because soccer is still the most important sport on this podcast. <laughs> but you talked about how when during your college days, like you didn't have the right healthy eating habits. Remind me, like, did you have nutritionists on site at Arkansas State to advise you? We did not. We actually, I would say our athletic trainer, Alyssa, was was pretty much like our our mom. She like, you know, if we had any questions about nutrition or, or hormones or um, she was she was the person that we went to. And um, our coach was the one that did our strength, strength and conditioning. And um, it wasn't until my senior year and my spring season when we're like, you know, leaving, um, they hired a strength and conditioning coach. So we didn't really get to utilize him and, um, his expertise. Now I had, I had been majoring in exercise science. So all my professors, you know, I was asking about nutrition and of course Mm -hmm. we got a, a little bit, um, in, in the, in the degree, but not to the, not to the extent that I felt like I needed. Cause I was Mm -hmm. one of those athletes that, I had gained weight while I was playing and I didn't know why. And I kept taking away food and exercising more and, and it just wasn't working. And, um, so I was looking for answers and, and definitely wasn't finding the right answers. Um, I did decide to get my CSCS as soon as I graduated. Um, and, and, you know, in, 
in personal training and strength and conditioning, you're constantly getting asked what you should be eating and, and they do go hand in hand. And so, um, that's, that's what ultimately made me go back to school to be a dietitian was so that I could combine those two fields together and, and really be the expert in both. Yeah. And I can't wait to get to that. Um, I'm curious though, because I know for me, when I was an athlete, definitely I gained weight. Um, I would say though, after I stopped playing, I gained a lot of weight and I was like, whoa, like I'm not young anymore. Something's got to give for you after you graduated. Was that the point that you started to learn more about your body that you felt like you were in the driver's seat? Absolutely. Um, you know, knowledge is, is power for sure. So, um, what sort of happened to me was I went on this, um, spiral of, I had, cystic acne that I would go to a dermatologist for, and I got an antibiotic. I had stomach issues that I, you know, was seeing a GI doc for, and I had all sorts of like, I had plantar fasciitis. I had patella tendonitis. I had biceps tendonitis. Um, but I just thought it was all related to, uh, my sport, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, when, when I started learning more about diet and changing my diet, um, all of those things started improving. And, and so, you know, that was a big wake up call for me, like that food really is medicine, you know, and and I didn't even know that at the time the antibiotics I was taking for my face was messing with my gut. And then the, you know, the stuff I was taking for my gut was messing with my hormones or just a messed up machine. That was messed up. And, and, you know, I, in, in my defense, I didn't know any better. And, um, I just, but my body was, was yelling at me, you know, and, and I was one of those athletes that like, I'll just tough it out. Like I'm not missing a game. I'm not missing practice. You know, I got to start every single game of my college career um, so I didn't have injuries that like limited me that way, luckily. Yeah. Um, but I was definitely on a path that was not going to be good. You yeah. know, so. I feel like I was in your same shoe, except I was the one that was injured every season. And I felt like I was doing everything right. I was training the hardest. I would be out outside after everyone left, you know, and I would still be getting injured. And you made a comment about one, one thing is that athletes, sometimes they don't even consume enough calories. And I thought to myself, I said, she's right. Because I thought back to the time that did like two a days and I maybe had one little snack middle of the day and maybe a fruit at the end. Well, Amy, I was looking at your website and I was very inspired for sure. Uh, But I wanted to ask you about some of your quotes that you kind of had. The first one was uh, quote body image for your young athletes, especially females is a serious concept in sport, overall health and well-being, performance and recovery is what should be emphasized from coaches, staff and peers. I'm just curious your thoughts. How do you think we are doing today as a society when it comes to that? Mm, That is a great question. I think old habits die hard. And so, you know, if you have coaches that have been around for a really long time, and that was sort of their coaching style to, to say, Hey, you're too heavy for this sport. You need to lose some weight. You know, there's a more refined way of, of saying it. And, um, I do think we have become more sensitive to that as we are more aware now, you know, we're more aware of everything because of social media, because of the outlets that, that we have to get information. So 
I think that it still happens and takes place where um, women and men um, are, are told the wrong things in the wrong context. But, um, I, but I do think that we've gotten better with that. It's sport to sport, right? So like, you know, obviously soccer is one of those sports that your, your, your body fat matters, you know, how, how quick and agile you are on the, Mm -hmm. on the pitch. And, um, it would be like, like dancing, for example. And, you know, there's, there's, there's different needs for different sports. And so, um, we, we honestly did body fat at sporting KC every six weeks. And, um, I definitely tried to make it more about the health and, and, you know, but, but let's face it, they wanted, they wanted to be better. They wanted to be faster. They, and so did the coaches wanted that. So, you know, it was, it was definitely emphasized more than what I might have emphasized it, but it was a good goal and tracking point for, for us to use. So, yeah. And we're going to get to MLS sporting Kansas city experience real soon. But before that, Mm -hmm. I am really curious why, like, I know you had your personal circumstances that made you interested in nutrition, but I feel like there's more to why you do what you do and work with a given population. What is that reason? Oh girl, it's, it's that fire inside as an athlete. Like, yeah, I, can't tell you how much I love the sport of volleyball and just sports in general and what it does to you, um, outside of the, the love and thrill of even playing the sport itself. You know, it's, um, it, for me, I, I was, I grew up, you know, poor small town girl, wasn't able to travel really, um, Mm -hmm. probably wouldn't have been able to pay for college and, and, you know, the discipline, to, to work towards that, um, the teamwork, the, uh, the diligence and, and yes, like it gave me a life that, um, I don't know that I would have had otherwise. So it's one of those things that I, the mindset of certain athletes is, is intriguing. And, um, and I just want to give back to, to sports because it did so much for me. I wish you were my nutritionist back in the day. I would have probably had a longer career for sure. Right? Or, you know, things like that. <laughs> well, to MLS Sporting Kansas City. So the way that it worked is I, I started actually in their 2017 season mm-hmm. as a consultant. And and yes, so the, the academy, the USL and the um, first team were all at one location at Swope. Um, so as a consultant, I came in, you know, two to three days a week and tried to be there to help all the teams. And, um, I did not work with the girls very much. They, they did have me talk to, um, some of the girls like outside of the Mm -hmm. facility. Um, so I did do that a couple of times, but, um, you know, my main, my main job was the first team and then kind of trickled down from there. And so, um, what happened was, you know, we saw great, great success with, with, uh, the sports nutrition side of things. Um, I was able to increase the budget for better supplements for higher quality foods in the training kitchen and, and so forth, better catering meals. And, um, and so then, 
Peter Vermees decided to see if he could get me a full-time position. And so he um, was able to do that. And so in 2018, I went full-time with the team. However, at the time, a new facility was built for the first team. Um, and so they moved off campus to the new facility and then the USL team and the Academy was still at the old facility. So I sort of had to, um, be in two places at one time, I guess you could say. And, and, and really it was unfortunate because, you know, with, with my schedule at home with my kids and stuff, I was able to take the kids to school go to the first team before I had to go pick them up, run to the second, you know, team. And so it was, it wasn't managed as well as I I almost needed an assistant, you know, to sort of help me because there's nothing that replaces someone being physically there, you know, to help. Yes. I was texting the guys and, and emailing and calling and, um, and you know, we were doing that sort of thing distance wise, but it, it's not the same when you talk to them face to face. Yeah. And just what was it like, I guess, interacting and having to oversee all of these teams, like, were you super stressed or, I mean, yes, like you mentioned, you could have had another staff, but regarding to like the dynamic, what was that all like? It was actually awesome. And it came very organic and natural. Um, the, the time that I used the most was when the guys were eating. Mm -hmm. And so that would either be, you know, pre training or post training. Um, and I would just mingle with them and I would just kind of walk around and talk to them and see what was going on. And at first with the first team, I did go through every single one of them, ask them what their goal was, um, what supplements they were taking and why. And so I sort of got to know all of them that way. Mm -hmm. And, and then we kind of developed a strategy for each of them to accomplish that goal, you know, through the supplements that they were taking and, um, and, and through food, of course, because I am a food first supplement second, you know, kind of now, Um, but let's face it, sometimes it's hard to get in everything that you need to get in and you need a little extra insurance. So that's what supplements are for. Yeah. And how were you all tracking it? Like, did you kind of track it on your computer or did the guys track it themselves? Well, so I kept track of, um, any conversations, you know, that I, I had, um, any body fat percentages I kept in an Excel spreadsheet, um, so I pretty much kept track of most of that. And, and what we did was when we did body fats, when I did individual meetings, um, we were able to sort of zero in on those that might need a little extra help from me. Um, and those were the ones that I might keep like an actual file on, but for the most part, um, you know, it was only, I don't know, one to two per team that really needed that individualized attention. So it wasn't overwhelming in that sense. Um, you know, I think, and then I did a lot of group presentations, so that helped as well because I had everybody together. Yeah. Now what about like the amateur side? Would you say the same? They were fairly good too regarding to their nutrition, or I imagine you probably weren't spending that much time. Um, we didn't do body fats at all on like the 10 to 13 or 14 year olds. It was pretty much like from 15 up is, is where we started the body fats, but I actually presented a lot to their parents. 
Um, because you know, those kids weren't the ones that were grocery shopping and doing the cooking. And so, um, I did present to them some, but I, I tried to get the parents involvement as much as possible. So I presented to them, I sent them a weekly email, um, sort of reiterating nutrition messages that I was giving the team. So that way they were kind of, um, learning as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of how I involved the younger, the younger, kids. yeah. And- what are your thoughts? When do you think, or do you even think kids should really be worried about body mass index? Like, and if so, like, when should they be paying attention to that? Oh, that's another loaded question because, um, you know, we, we are faced with, with kids that are way more overweight these days and, and even obese. And, you know, we're seeing adult diseases in such a younger age that we don't, there's not even studies done yet, you know? So how do we, how do we approach this and how do we manage it? And, you know, in, in soccer, there's, there's not a lot of that. There's, there's not a lot of overweight and and obese kiddos because of how physically active they are. There were definitely some that were trending that way. um, And had they not been as active, you know, it, it would have been an issue. And, and, some of it was, um, had to do with, with how much income, you know, they had and access to healthy foods. And some of it might've been cultural, you know, because you've got soccer players from all over the world. And so there was definitely, you know, some, some barriers, I guess you could say, or, um, some things you had to, you know, work through, but I, I don't like BMI because it doesn't take into consideration really muscle mass. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's, I just think it's very antiquated. And, and so that's why I really think that like circumference and, and, you know, lean mass, but like body fat percentages are more accurate, um, measure. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned a really important consideration is cultural aspect and I imagine Kansas city, they probably have people, some from out of the country. And I know for me, uh, a lot of my listeners, some of them are in Europe, some of them are in Australia. And you talked about trying to make a plan that fits the athlete. Now, what if you're, you're an American and you have maybe someone who's Italian, maybe you don't have a huge background about the types of food that, that they eat. Do you have to like take some time to see what's in those nutrients to try to make a meal plan that's similar? Or do you just say, Hey, just eat this, take out this certain sauce. How do you do that? In order to get people to, to make a change or a lifestyle change, you have to meet them where they're at. And so I would, I'm always about introducing more foods versus taking away foods. And so, you know, when I got to know some of the players, like we, we had a guy from, you know, Central America, um, tons of rice. And, and then, um, we did have a a guy from Spain and, you know, those Europeans are like, wait, where's the bread. And, (laughs) and, and they want all the noodles, you know, and like here in America, we, we process noodles like crazy and they're just not as good for you as what you can get over there. And, um, so that was something that was an educating point for me, for them is to explain like, okay, you know, here's how we refine noodles and bread and, um, make it not so healthy for you. What, 
what they got over there was probably much more what we used to get back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so (laughs) I would try to incorporate maybe a healthier version of what their comfort food or their home foods, you know, were. And luckily when I, um, when I got to work full time, we had a chef. And so I was able to incorporate like certain days that were certain, you know, um, like Mediterranean Monday and, and so forth. And players were fairly happy with that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Latin that is awesome. Rice, you know, just look, we can incorporate these foods. They can be healthy too. And, and, you know, part of your everyday, but maybe let me show you what a serving of rice looks like, you yeah. know, so you don't fill your whole plate with it because you're only getting a certain amount of nutrients with that. And, and I would want them to get as many as they could from that meal. So, yeah. and I will say this, um, even talking with, with some of the past questions that you asked, like one of the best things about working with sporting was the support from, from their coaching staff, from their upper management. It was so empowering to have them, first of all, listen to what I said and actually do it themselves too. Yeah. But also genuinely care about their players and their well-being and and tell them you know what she tells you to do is what you need to do and so yeah. it made my job so much easier because i had that support last question regarding to the mls sporting kansas city you answered one of my questions which was about kind of comparing amateur versus professional athletes and their needs and you kind of mentioned already that you kind of teach them the foundation and then you go on to make that individualized program. Now I am curious, what was the hardest concept breakthrough to amateurs and then for professional athletes? I pretty much took away all the bagels and, and breads and, and all of that <laughs> stuff that they were eating because they were all like the terrible ones, you know, like, I'm like we can have some sourdough and, you know, we mm-hmm. can do this in a healthier manner but they, none of them were very happy with me when I, when I first did that. Um, and, and that was all like young and old. They're like, Uh what, where are all the bagels? And (laughs) so, and, you know, I just, again, I, Peter was like, we're ripping the bandaid off. We're not going to do this in a way that is like, oh, well, you can still have that. And He's like, no, if that's not what they need to fuel properly, then we're, we're getting rid of it. And so we really did like take everything out of the training kitchen. Um, and then I just added in like the healthier yogurts. We did, um, rice cookers to cook steel cut oats in the morning and then had all the, you know, good toppings and stuff for that and avocados and healthier fats. And, um, so once they, and I posted little recipes of what they could do and combinations of, of the foods. And so once they got over the initial shock of, of not having a bagel before practice, um, they, they were okay with it. Um, and, and really it's just when you change anything for an athlete, sometimes that freaks them out. And, and so you, you just have to like, do some baby steps in there and, and talk to them about it and why you're doing it. And a lot of times just educating them and explaining why you're doing it makes all the difference in the world. So now Amy though, 
taking out something altogether, I'm sure some of those athletes went home to eat their bagel. Oh, yeah. I just know they did. But at least they did it within the facility. So it was still essentially baby steps for them, I'm assuming. Well, let's jump right into the nutritional aspects. This is not a nutritional course, guys. So, but we are going to go through just the general basics and uh, get right through because there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about from managing injuries to performance. But can you just tell me a real simple definition of carbohydrates? Sure. Um, A carbohydrate is essentially any food that will break down into sugar in the blood. Okay. There you go, guys. Now, we talk about carbohydrates needing that, say like before a game. And as you mentioned, I used to eat Alfredo, fettuccine pasta, thinking I'm getting that for the game. And obviously that's not the greatest pasta to be eating from your standpoint. Like how do you balance say like the carbohydrates you should be eating, say the day of a game versus the ones you should be eating the day before? you know, your, your training regimen or pregame, should I say really does start the night before. And, and so, you know, I always talk about having a healthy meal the night before, but the day of is usually when like, let's say they have an afternoon game or something and breakfast, you know, mid morning is the, the biggest meal of the day that they're going to have. Then, you know, you need to salt your food, You need to add a little extra like orange juice or grapefruit juice with your breakfast, maybe add another banana or apple or, you know, cause that's another healthy carb. Um, so I, I usually on, on those days sort of want them to have just a little more insurance, but, but it's Mm -hmm. still really, um, a balance with, with the plate method is what I like to use with athletes because it's a, it's a visual and it's easy for them to do anytime, you know, at home, when they're traveling, you know, at, before games, whatever. So I always say, take your plate, divide it in half, and half of that is vegetables. So if that's cucumbers and carrots, and that's all you like, then half of your plate is cucumbers and carrots. The other half is split, you know, into fourth sections, and one fourth is your protein. And that's actually about the portion size of, you know, the protein that you know, they would have a chicken breast has 20 grams and that's about what they would need. So, um, and then the other fourth is, is more of that, like starchier carb. So, you know, your potato or sweet potato or your rice or your quinoa, and then you sprinkle in some fat. So whether that's an avocado or seeds or nuts or, um, drizzling oil on your salad, Um, and then, like I said, you just might have a little extra, like a piece of fruit and some juice or something. So, yeah. And then when it comes to like two a days versus one practice a day, are there major things that you see certain athletes do that makes you think like, this is going to cause more harm than good, especially for the two a days. I want to let, yeah, let's talk about the like two a days sessions. Would you, do you see athletes maybe eating too much or still not enough? but both, honestly, you have those that are really in tune to their body and they know like, okay, after this training, I'm going to have a a smoothie, a recovery smoothie. And maybe I'll have like, you know, a little something else like, um, uh, maybe a a yogurt later or some granola or, you know, something, um, a, a bar of some sort that's not too heavy. Um, but then you have those, especially the, the younger ones that are, 
you know, maybe their metabolism is still a little faster or, Mm -hmm. um, and they tend to not give themselves time for their stomachs to communicate with their brains and, and they would eat (laughs) too much. Or, um, another thing is, is eating, um, like you were saying the the fettuccine, like that's really high in fat and that's fine to have every once in a while. But when you're when you're training twice a day or as a pregame meal, that is going to be, you know, too, too heavy and fat. And so if your stomach is constantly working and sending blood to digest food, then it's not getting in the muscles where it needs to for activity. So, um, less is more usually. And then you make sure that you have a plan for that recovery after you're done. And that's when your biggest meal should, you know, should, should be happen. Right. Yeah. But really how can athletes really know if they're eating too much versus not enough? cause no athlete knows how many calories they're burning on the field doing practice, or, you know, maybe they do these days cause they do have, um, the GPS tracking, right. Things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. They probably don't know exactly. I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a experiment, I guess. And, um, again, you know, you factor in their age, you factor in like, um, are they injured? Are they healthy? You factor in their goals. Do they need to lose weight? Do they need to gain weight? And so all of that goes into, um, consideration when you do explain like, this is about how many calories you should be having a day. And this is what that would look like. But I really, I don't, I don't like to get into calorie counting and, and, and stuff because I think it, I think it becomes this obsession and, and in a way restrictive, because if, if they're, they get to a point where they know, okay, well, if I have this meal for breakfast, this snack, this meal for lunch, this snack and this dinner, that's this many calories. And so they end up eating the same thing all the time. Um, and so I, I try not to stress calorie counting also Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, it's more the quality of the calories that you're eating. Did you get a complex carb, which has more fiber and, and it's going to break down slower than like your simple carbs, like your, um, sodas and and candies and cakes and crackers and cereal and that sort of thing. So, um, did you get a lean protein source? Did you have a little fat sprinkled in, you know? And, and so I, I try to emphasize those things more than, than, than calories. Yeah. Cause I always tell them like, okay, well you have a hundred calories worth of broccoli and a hundred calories worth of cheesecake. Do you think those hundred calories are going to do the same thing (laughs) for your body once you ingest it? Like absolutely not, you know, because food is food is communication to the cells. It breaks down and it tells our cells what to do. And so you, you almost have to think about eating to heal, you know, and not to, to hurt. Yeah. I stopped. Well, I never started counting calories. So I never actually started, but I just couldn't keep up with that. But you talked about how protein is the most important immediately after training, whether that's a shake. And I listened to one of the podcasts and you mentioned how athletes make the biggest mistake of like not having something to fuel themselves right after, whether it's a lift or anything like that. And I I'm curious, what, what do you recommend for your athletes I know you recommended just like having like maybe a smoothie right after just in smoothie. your car or something like that. 
Yeah. I mean, smoothies are just the easiest way to get in a lot of nutrients. And so, um, you know, they're an easy way to throw in some protein, whether it's through an almond butter, um, whether it's through a collagen protein powder or, or whatever, um, that might look like, you know, you can, you can throw in a little healthy fat from maybe some coconut oil, um, lots of micronutrients from your berries or fruit, you know, that you use potassium, Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like drinking a salad is what I would equate it to. And so you're just getting a lot more bang for your buck. The other thing too, especially with soccer players is they don't always love to eat right after they play. And, and so, but they will drink something. And so it's just, and I found it's just easier to give them, you know, a recovery smoothie versus trying to get them to eat like actual food. Um, yeah. So like the energy balls and, and small bites of things, you know, they would, they would maybe try. Um, but I always, you know, emphasize even a trail mix or just something small, you know, within 30 minutes after, and then within two hours after their training, they're probably starving and then yeah. they can, you know, eat a bigger meal. And when we talk about soccer players, and I know I said, I'll talk about the strength and condition aspect later, but I actually want to ask you about this when it comes to, well, first of all, we know like soccer, uh, most soccer players are pretty lean. We have kind of that lean muscle, you know, for endurance. And I'm just curious your thoughts, like when it's the best time to lift, because I know when I was an athlete, we would have practice, then we would lift and then we would eat. Do you think there's an ideal time, whether that's first thing or in the morning and then have practice in the afternoon to kind of help an athlete recover? That's another good question. And I do think it's kind of individualized because like, you know, I, I feel like maybe for, for females, it could be there's that are hormonal on their cycles and so forth that maybe there's a better time for them to, to be lifting than, than males. And, you know, and there's so much out there about, do you lift first and then do your cardio? Do you do your cardio first? Yeah. And, then lift? And, <laughs> um, and that's where I think it's, it's individualized because it's, you know, whatever, whenever you feel your strongest or mm-hmm. um, for me, for example, like I'm a, seven to 9am workout person. That's like when I'm most energetic and, and can conquer anything. And, and then as the day goes on, it's just like, mm, like, so, you know, I, I think it It sounds like there's no wrong or right answer for that. I I mean, I don't think so. Um, I know like for our guys, they, they practiced first and then they lifted afterwards and, but they did have a recovery smoothie in between those two things. And then lunch Uh was right after lifting. So yes, one was right after the other, but there was like recovery periods, you know, after each. Well, let's go on to fats because as we know, there are some good fats that we should be having in our body. Is it true though, that athletes should avoid keto diets and intermittent fasting during the season? What are your thoughts on that? Well, first I would say, don't try anything new until off season and, mm-hmm. um, even a, a new supplement or new food, like, um, preseason or off season is the best time to, to, you know, experiment with those kind of things. I don't want to say that 
a keto type diet is not good for athletes because I have seen some be really successful with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have the total opposite and, and you have those that, you know, are vegan and all they eat are vegetables and fruits. And I think some athletes are so metabolically efficient that they can go from one energy source being carbohydrates or sugar to using fats and ketones as an energy source. One thing I will say is that fat is very energy dense. And so I don't think it should be looked past because, you know, I, I do feel like it supports testosterone and hormones and, um, and does keep your blood sugar levels much more steady. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that if you ate fat and then you bonked from not having any glucose or glycogen left, that fat would come into the rescue. But, but essentially like if you are metabolically efficient, it can get to that point. Right. So, you know, for myself, I think lower carb is better for me, but that doesn't mean no carb. And, and also like it's better carbs, you know, than, than others. So, um, I what's, know and that, what's your better carbs? What, what's the carbs you like to consume? Yeah. So I, I love sweet potatoes. Um, I, I love, um, uh, I love all vegetables, honestly, but like, like potatoes and sweet potatoes and squashes and, um, peas and hummus and beans. And those sort of things are, are higher, you know, in sugar, mm-hmm. um, then let's say, broccoli and spinach and, you know, some of your greens and, um, and then fruit too, you know, most fruit has fruit has fructose, which is the fruit sugar. So it's going to be higher in carbs too. And, um, I, I don't limit, you know, I don't worry about the sugar in, in those kind of foods, you know? Oh, that's good to know. So I'm going to stop worrying about, cause sometimes I'm like, I'm not going to eat the strawberry because it has sugars in it. No, no, because I mean, your berries especially are, have the least amount of sugar and they have the most amount of antioxidants. So you're, you're, you're doing a good thing by eating those. Yeah. Now about the keto diet, I'm curious, have you actually had an athlete who just was straight on the keto diet? It was just a lifestyle thing. And he, he played through the season with that, or is it not common to see an athlete? I mean, I didn't, I had a a colleague that, um, he had a whole rugby team that Mm -hmm. he was working with that did it and had huge success with it. Um, but I haven't personally had someone who, who tried it during like season and, um, I had lots of questions about it. And, and so I definitely, and especially the intermittent fasting, um, and, and a lot of that was, you know, brain fog and, and they, they just wanted to see if, if they would have more, more energy from, from fasting and then training and then eating later. Um, so, you know, and again, it was one of those things that here's, here's what I can tell you, but until you try it and see how it goes for you, you know, I don't really, I can't really say for certain if it's going to work or not, you know? Yeah. So have you ever tried the whole keto diet before? Yeah. Curious. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, and, How long? well, I would say, so I did what's called the keto green. So I feel like a lot of keto dieters limit vegetables. Um, and then they add way too much dairy. 
And so I sort of tried to do it by, you know, using more green vegetables and less dairy. Did you notice a difference when you went on that keto diet, like regarding to maybe whether it's your energy or anything particular? Um, I mean, I, I felt great. Um, I would say, I will say that like after, you know, three to four days of, of doing that, I did have a little bit of a lull in my energy. Um, but that, that went away. And so, um, but, but I'm one of those people that I like to, I like to try stuff just so that I can say like all these, uh, meal prep boxes that they'll send you, you know, I like to, I've tried those just so I can say, you know what, for this client or for this athlete, you need, you need this, you need sun yeah. basket. And, and I can honestly say that I've done it. So, yeah. um, I, I will dabble into, you know, stuff, but I'm still on my own like health journey of trying to figure out, okay, well now that I'm post kids and two yeah. and my hormones are crazy and I've got to switch gears again, you know? So, um, yeah. that's the thing about nutrition is that it's, it's, constantly evolving just as our bodies are constantly evolving and we we have to we have to support us where we're at absolutely now there are going to be a number of medical providers tuning in and i kid you not yesterday i had a patient i've started this new sports medicine job in atlanta and they have these forms and it's like a screening where they ask about falls abuse. And then there's a nutritional aspect, which kind of surprised me. Cause I'm like, it asks like, how do you think your nutrition is? And then the other day I had a patient, she's like, well, it's, um, she's like, it's okay. And like, I was like, well, do you think you have the resources to know what you should be doing? And she's like, well, you know, I don't know. And immediately, cause there's a box that says, um, clinician, educated them. And, you know, obviously I, I know my major groups, but I said, you know what? I don't feel like I can articulate that in an easy way for her today. But I told her, I said, you know what, next session, we're going to talk about new, your nutrition and just some basic concepts. And then if you need to seek a nutritionist, we can refer you. But I thought it was interesting that a form had that. And I was like, you know, I don't even know how I can break this down in simple terms. So I'm curious for medical providers that have patients that they interact with every single day on that first evaluation, like, what do you think are important, like just general nutritional concepts that should be communicated every single time to every single patient? First of all, I'm, I'm married to a physician. So, um, (laughs) we, he's a family practice doctor. And so we definitely, we butt heads a lot. Um, but we also like feed off of each other and, and can, you know, ask each other's questions or give each other our opinion and, and see where the other person is at. So, um, and, and I will say this, like for physicians, um, you know, they, certainly mean well and want to help. But when they tell patients that, you know, they need to lose weight, but then they don't have the resources to give the patients to help them lose weight. Like people Mm -hmm. will go home and they just, you know, they, they'll try maybe the energy balance thing and, and cut out, you know, cut down on calories and exercise more and, and that down regulates your metabolism. And, and it may work for a little bit, but then eventually it, it stops working and you can't just keep doing that, you know, to right. keep losing weight. So, I mean, I always start with, 
with what are carbs, proteins, and fats. Mm -hmm. And, and I think them understanding what foods include those, you know, like sort of, okay, your carbohydrates are all of these foods. And then your proteins are all of these foods. Your fats are all of these foods. And then of these, here's a smiley face by these that are better than others. And again, even though I don't like to demonize any foods and, and say that, cause nothing's off limits, so to speak, yeah. but how do you put that together to make a healthy plate? And then, you know, just the importance of movement in general, mm-hmm. um, water, what are you drinking? That's usually the first thing, like, let's rethink your drink. Like, what are you adding to your coffee? Mm-hmm. What kind of Starbucks drinks are you getting? Are you drinking juice? Are you drinking sodas? Are you, you know, there's so many things that we can be drinking nowadays. Um, is that's what, is that what is adding to your, um, weight issue if you have one or, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. So, um, those would be the first couple things. Um, I, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, cause I think my thing that I feel like I struggle with, like, like you said it, we do get a lot of referrals. Doctor says your back pains cause you're overweight, you're this and that, which sure we, we get it. That body mass can put a little bit more stress on the joints, but sometimes if I'm going to advise, I'm like, well, how do I advise them of how much? Cause like, like you said, it like, there's, it's not wrong to count calories, but for someone that is heavier set, that is maybe used to eating a ton of meals, like, do we first just throw in, Hey, these are the good carbs, proteins, and just do that first. And then maybe see how that goes with those little changes before you say, and then maybe you should try to limit the amount you eat. Like, how do you go about that? I just, I feel like I'd still struggle communicating that. Yeah. I mean, I, I do feel like there is a huge portion distortion, you know, amongst people because our, our portion sizes have increased naturally, um, from, from food manufacturers, from restaurants. And, and so there, we do kind of need to get back to like, um, one physiologically listening to our bodies. Like, are we hungry? How hungry are we? let's not eat too fast. So our brain has time to catch up with our stomach to tell us that we're full. We've sort of like, just let everything overtake our physiological ability, you know, to to determine all of these things. It's like infants and, and little kids, they actually do know how to portion size and, and know when they're full and when they're hungry. They do actually. And and we are the ones that are like, no, 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 no. You need to (laughs) eat more. And, um, So I think, you know, I hate the old food models, but like sometimes showing patients, like, especially for, for my soccer players that, um, like macaroni and cheese or, or rice, even like showing them what an actual cup of that looked like, you know, was like, that's how much I'm supposed to be having. Like (laughs) visual visuals are always helpful, um, versus just, you know, giving like the scientific information. So, um, I think, you know, showing them what, but also relating it to real life things. So a checkbook, that's, that's the size of the fish that you should have. Um, Uh a, a tennis ball is going to be like, you know, all your fruit and, and, you know, anything round is about going to be that, that size. Um, and then the palm of your hand, that's, 
that's uh, the protein size. Protein, yeah. Um, okay. Like yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna mention to my boss like, hey, we need to have a nutritional model. If we're gonna be asking these questions. We need to have some of these resources for them visually yeah, look. And at. then, so I always I had these plates that um, were divided into three sections, mm-hmm. and I just use that all the time. So it, you know, it was a standard size plate, but it was divided in half, and then the other side was divided in half. Oh, and you and just so showed them was, that. Yeah, it was an easy oh. way to say, okay, see this? This is where your vegetables go. This is where your meat goes, and this is where your That's you good. know your starchier carbs or whatever it might be. Um, and, and so I think when you show them that, and then you have the list of what foods belong in those categories, so then they can like put it kind of together together, um, you know, then it makes a little more sense for them. And when it comes to putting it together, you talked about being able to listen to your body. For me, I feel like I could eat throughout the entire day and clearly I'm not listening to my body. I guess what Is there a secret strategy that one could really tune in to kind of feel like, are they truly hungry or are they just bored? Or is there anything that you use? Because I do feel like, especially when you're an athlete, sometimes you feel like you could eat around the clock. Yeah. Well, and I honestly, athletes kind of should. Yeah. Um, Depending on, you know, if they're like what their activity is that day and stuff. Like if they're on an off day, then but not I'm talking about even during the off season where they're not even practicing. I yeah. always felt like I, I could eat every hour or two something. So the first thing that I would say is, is what are you eating and why do you, why do you feel like you need to like, why are you hungry? And, and so are you not eating enough protein and healthy fats to satisfy you? Because mm-hmm. if you are eating those carbohydrate foods, Um, especially those that don't have the, the fiber, you know, they break down fast, they increase your insulin, they give you that energy burst, and then they leave you flat on your face. And it creates that vicious cycle in the brain of, Ooh, that sugar was good. I want more. And so that's exactly it. Actually, now that I think about, and so then we crave, we crave those carbs again, and then we fuel our body with them again. And so it just, the cycle continues. Whereas when we have a little bit of fat and some protein with that snack, you know, we're sustained, our energy levels are sustained and we don't feel as hungry. So there's just a satiety factor in there. So that's the first thing, because most of my younger athletes, that's what happens with them is that, you know, the parents are always like, they're constantly eating. They're always (laughs) hungry. And I'm like, well, what are they eating? Well, a bowl of cereal and, you know, a a half of a sandwich and some chips and okay, carbs, 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 you know, it's, it's not enough to sustain them, to fill them up. So, Uh, wow. That's it for me. Wow. Game changer. Game changer. Amy, I told you tomorrow I'm getting it. I'm getting boredom. It It could be thirst. I don't get bored. It's, it's the carbs. (laughs) It's the carbs. Yeah. When it comes to prevention, there's a lot of overuse, lower extremity injuries, especially in soccer players. And me being a former athlete myself, I experienced it. And I have so many that come through my clinic with either a hamstring or groin. I'm just curious from your history working with soccer players, is there a common pattern that you've seen from these players that seem to have these almost like overuse injuries? Like, is it that 
they're not eating enough or they're not getting enough proteins? I know it's a difficult, it might be a difficult question to actually even answer, but have you seen a common pattern? Well, yeah. I mean, more like bone related, I feel like, you know, Uh like they're, they're lacking vitamin D big time. Like that was always, um, something that almost every single player was consistently low in when we tested. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you have to have vitamin D to absorb calcium. So that was, that was always something that we supplemented with. Um, let's see what else. Um, I mean, definitely just not having a recovery routine. Mm -hmm. And so again, you create that vicious cycle when you don't recover properly and eat the right foods. Um, the, you know, yes, protein is, is definitely beneficial, but I think just antioxidants in general, Mm -hmm. um, sleep is huge. Um, that was another thing that a a lot of them weren't getting enough sleep and that's when our bodies heal, you know, um, And, and, and so once you created that recovery routine where you had something after every training or, or match, um, and then you, you got the proper sleep, you took the right supplements and, um, wasn't just eating, I mean, really sugar has a lot to do with gluten, sugar, some, for some people, dairy, like your main allergens too, with food, um, can contribute, but, I I don't know. I wouldn't say that I saw like a very consistent pattern, but definitely, um, definitely the vitamin D was a big thing. Going back to vitamin D, if you don't have a good amount of vitamin D, yes, sure. Stress factors can happen, but for someone that maybe suffered from a stress fracture, are there certain modifications that you will incorporate in their diet? Is it just maybe adding more vitamin D or, are there other maybe meals that you would advise of versus things you would not say you should eat? Um, I think it depends on, are they in the acute phase of the injury or is it, you know, are they, are they over that acute phase? And yeah, let's say they're over the, that acute phase. Okay. Um, so yes, the D and it has to be D3, um, not D2. Um, What's the difference? D3 is the active form of vitamin D. So it's more absorbed. Um, D2 is, is not really absorbed. So you're not really getting much benefit from, from doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, vitamin D is best, um, gotten through sunlight, you know, with the skin. So, um, that morning sun is the best time to try to get that vitamin D in. Um, again, calcium and iron, Uh, those are two things that, you know, we might consider, um, I usually tell athletes to get an iron skillet and, and cook in an iron skillet at home. And that will infuse iron in your, in your foods. And, and you don't even have to take a supplement for it, you know, and especially if you already eat red meat or lean meats and, Mm -hmm. um, turmeric or curcumin, that's, that's another one for any, any kind of inflammatory problem, um, you know, curcumin has been around for thousands of years. And, um, I think it's, it's a great anti-inflammatory and anti-pain med, you know, or supplement. So, and and again, that's one of those that yes, you can get it through eating curry and turmeric, but it's, it's not as absorbed through the, um, through that, 
that way versus, you know, having a supplement or even through the skin. If you have like a turmeric cream of some sort, um, like lotion. Yeah. Yeah. Really? So magnesium is another one of those that, um, is best absorbed through the skin. So if you, um, are having, you know, leg cramps and, um, can't sleep. And then I always say, take an Epsom salt bath before bed and the magnesium and the Epsom salt will soak through your skin and it will, you know, kind of build up and help with some of those issues. Uh Um, bone broth is another one that I like to use for recovery, um, because it has, um, good amino acids in it. It has gelatin in it, which obviously gelatin and collagen are going to help, you know, with joint health, um, Collagen bone, bone broth is just, um, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's bone broth, but can, can you kind of break that down? Yeah. So bone broth is, is kind of like a chicken broth only it's when the, the bones of whatever animal you're, you're using, yeah. um, you cook it kind of slow and low. And so all the, all the goodness in their bones will leach out into the broth. And so mm-hmm. you can, you can do, um, you can add like herbs and vegetables and stuff to it as well. Or you can just straight up like slow cook the the bones and then skim the, the stuff off the top and then drink what's, what's there. And so that was something that I had the chef make on a weekly basis. And it was always available to the players and you kind of have it like a soup or a tea. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also, now there's so many bone broths over the counter, like at grocery stores and stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask what, like where at, would it be like, where like normally the chicken broth and all that yep. located at. Oh, yep, okay. Exactly. So that's where it will be the shelf stable kind. And then you'll find the, um, there's some like health food stores that have it in the freezer section. Um, but I always tell them to cook the rice and quinoa and stuff with it. So you can use it, you know, for soups, but you can also, instead of just water, use bone broth to cook your rice and, and your, um, uh, you know, grains. Oh, okay. Amy, there are going to also be athletes who are either college athletes, actually, who are wanting to take their game to the next level. What's the best advice that you could tell them overall regarding to their health, given your nutritional, your um, strength and conditioning background, and obviously also your experience as a former athlete? Ooh, well, I would, I would first tell them to um, try to find a trusted source of information. You know, um, if you have questions, um, find the right person to ask or the right, you know, um, trusted site. Um, and then again, I would focus on what are you drinking first? Um, and, 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 you know, like I'm working with a college, a a senior right now that's about to go um, to college. She's going to be a a goalkeeper. And um, she had me do like a cookbook for, um, for her, for her college. So like, she told me what she would have access to. Um, so like a shared kitchen and then, you know, the cafeteria and so forth. And, and so it's, it's learning how to choose what's best for you with what you have. Um, because, you know, cafeterias are full of unhealthy stuff, but, but if you know what to look for, you can get, you know, some healthier options. So, um, you know, get, get the salad, not the cereal and, <laughs> um, get the salad, get the yeah, salad. And it, you know, for me, I would tell myself like to, 
to not starve yourself and to not, you don't have to work out in addition to what you're already doing for practice. You know, like there's, there's a reason why you're, you're gaining weight and you're having all these inflammatory issues. So find a team, find support that, you know, will help you get to get you answers and get to the bottom of it. So that was good. That was really good. Now for future providers who want to work in a sports setting, because as we know, even as a physical therapist, or doctor working in sports medicine, the jobs are not just out there. You know, there are few. What is the best advice that you could give an early nutritionist who hopes to kind of make their mark within a professional organization? I I love this question. Um, I had so many people wanting to be my intern when I was with sporting. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately I, I couldn't do it because you know, a, it's a very private like environment. You can't just let anybody come into the athletic training room and, you know, um, and so what I did was I tried to, to help them by like, I, I met them outside of the facility and answered their questions. And, and I had them do like a couple little, um, kind of projects for me that um, had to do with sports nutrition that would help them learn, but, but also it, you know, it helped me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was that intern one time too, you know, and um, I pretty much chalked it up to like, well, sports nutrition is too hard to get into. So I'm just going to go the wellness route. And, um, but really my wellness background only benefited me in the sports nutrition side of things. So um, one of the things that I did to still be in sports nutrition was I volunteered. I was lucky enough to live um, where there was a division two college and, you know, I got to know the volleyball coaches right away. I, I went there every week and spoke to the team. Um, we, we knew the athletic director and the basketball coach and the football coach. I talked to individual players. I just dove into, um, what I could do. Um, and so I would tell, I would tell those people if opportunities aren't visible, um, create them and, and, and network, like, don't be afraid to, to ask and because you never know. And, and like I said, I, I had to say no, but, but I was like, but we could do this and, you know, I could try to help you. And so, um, and then even now I have this online business thing going and I'm like, how, how could I help an intern, you know, and be their preceptor and, and them, you know, in, in turn, help me with my online presence. So, um, I, I just think you have to, um, go find a team and say, Hey, do you guys want, would you love for me to talk to your team about nutrition and, and talk to them and create handouts and, and just volunteer. And I think that was a good way to end it off because at the end of the day, it's clear that you love what you do because you would be willing to take time out of your day unpaid to do it. And I feel like all the medical providers that I've had on my episodes, some of them have, were like, I first started just volunteering, taking time out of my day. And sometimes that's just the nature of kind of sports medicine. But then once you get in, it's like, it gets a little easier, you know? So exactly. You, you create a, you. a name for yourself and, and a presence. And that's how I got the sporting job. Well, thank you so much, Amy. 
You all can find her on Instagram and her website, which will be listed in the podcast notes. Thank okay. you so much, Amy. Nice Thank to meet you. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks for tuning in to Medical Experts. Please rate, download, subscribe, share with your fellow mates because they're going to enjoy it.